You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 14 of the PimpCon Warhammer podcast, where we always cater to fluffing casual players, and we aim to ignite the flame of hobby inside all of you, and maybe low-key talk shit about competitives. This is your humble host, PimpCron, and as always, we have tons of things to talk about this week. First of all, this will be our official Halloween episode, despite being the week after Halloween, you know, so sue me. And we get some flack in the old Tesseract mailbox for not having a Halloween episode last week. So we'll cover that in the Tesseract mailbox. Following that, we have a, well, here's an idea with the Pimpcron and Just James. And we discuss a Halloween-themed mission for Warhammer 40k. Honestly, it would work just fine for AOS as well. So it's a uh, property neutral, we'll call it. A property fluid mission. And... Then, what do we have after that? Well, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they have we have a Want That or Want That Not with Loremaster Alex and I, and we discuss the Sigmarite Mausoleum, which is one of my all-time... Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'll wait for you to hear the segment. So, then, we will be talking about some real talk with the Pimpcron, and we discuss a Game of Thrones-style Warhammer TV show. And see exactly what you guys think of that. I think actually that it would work pretty well. And uh, I enjoyed talking to Loremaster Alex about that. Finally, we have a Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, where we discuss using Heroclix models and um, basically mining that for what it's worth. Because Heroclix, because of their whole business model of making better and better Heroclix, all of the previous ones are literally free or dirt cheap. And the vast majority of my models for uh, Brutality have all been, in some part, Heroclix or kitbashed with Heroclix parts or something like that. So, you all asked for a Halloween-themed Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, and by golly, you will get that. Kind of. As much as we can. Let's see what it happens. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. It's that time of the show where we answer fan mail. What's that called? That's called the Tesseract Mailbox. And today I'm joined by Just James. Hello. Hello. And we have some angry, maybe a too strong of a word, some upset listeners. And uh, we have three different messages from people. And they're all asking the same question. So why don't you go ahead and read them, Just James? Uh, angry, I would say they're... Pretty pissed off. <laughs> Pretty pissed like, off. Like, I'm surprised you didn't make a Halloween-themed episode. I like your show, though. Keep it up. That was that was angry. That just gave me That's chills. That's pretty, yeah. I just, ooh, that would, I peed just a little bit. <laughs> uh, that no, was that was from Alan, Alan T. T. Yeah. Uh, and then next one, even worse. Greetings, pimpster. So you know he's really pissed off. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I was a little sad that you hate Halloween. My Drukari got dressed up for nothing. Mickey Mouse. Wow. You pissed off the mouse. I know. I know. I've got, I've got all of Disney coming down oh, on me. Jeez. All right. What's next the third one? one? This is the absolute worst. Hey. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. 
we need to issue a trigger warning, and we need to issue yeah, a yeah. warning on content. All if that, you have any children, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. Skip ahead. Here it goes. Hey, no spooky episode. You at least have to do a Christmas one when it comes. Damn! <laughs> Whoa! This guy's terrifying. <laughs> this guy is mad. Who's that? Tom, hey, Tom. Uh, please don't write it anymore. I mean, you're just too scary. Calm the fuck down, Tom. <laughs> yeah. God. Nightmares about Tom uh, <laughs> later on. <laughs> so, I think he didn't leave a last name. No. Uh, any no. Tom. It could be any Tom. That's even worse. It might have been all the Toms, honestly. Oh, jeez. Like, they're collective. They're the Tom collective. Um, And, you know, admittedly, I'd like to know where all the Toms meet to have, like, their monthly or weekly meetings. I, I, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want to go around anywhere around that because Tom is crazy. You don't want to mess with Tom's. Yeah. If he's gonna write that ignorant of an email, it's even worse than Mickey Mouse. Yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. So, um, okay. So I, you know, what would you say my favorite holiday is? Just James. Uh, is Christmas. Yeah. What's my second? Uh, Halloween. Halloween, motherfucker. <laughs> Yes. But you hate Halloween. Mickey well, Mouse said you hate Halloween. According to Mickey Mouse, but he doesn't know shit. Mickey Mouse don't know nothing. Um, I do not hate Halloween. Actually, this, um, so this is, the, we're recording this the week after Halloween. Actually, it's the week of Halloween, but it's like a couple days after. And Simpsons style. <laughs> Simpsons style. So we've decided that maybe we should have a spooky um, episode because... Obviously, the people demand it, and I was actually a little bummed, like, last week when time just got away from me, and I was like, oh, uh, let me, you know, upload this show and schedule it to post at 3 a.m. on Monday, which uh-huh. was the 29th, and as soon as I click that on the calendar, I'm like, "Ah, crap, that's the 29th, our next episode will be after Halloween. So, let's have ourselves a little uh, spooky episode to appease the masses. Alright. You good with that? Boo! Is that it? You'll never pay off your college debt. Woo! <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is. I mean, I don't. Do you have anything else to say about these? These people are angry. Uh, no, I don't. I, see, I, I didn't know I was getting into this. Uh, so I'm sorry. I I read your messages. Please don't come after me. <laughs> you want to distance yourself from yeah. this as far as possible. All right. Well. Unwashed masses, you will get the best Warhammer equivalent of a spooky Halloween episode that we can muster. Thank you for writing in. And I do not hate Halloween. Let's go. Want that or want that not? Welcome to the want that or want that not Halloween edition. It, it is I, the Pimpcron, joined by the ghost of my dead uncle. No. Actually, ghost joined by the ghost of... Of lore time my, past. <laughs> of the lore, yeah. Lore oh. time past. Lore master Alex. So, hey, guys. So we have, um, because of, uh, you know, Poplar request or whatever. Poplar. Actually, it was a tree that requested it, not Popular. Those damn trees. I know, the Poplars are always like, do something spooky. <laughs> so, so anyway, we are going to cover an old model, but still a good model. Sigmarite Mausoleum. Which, I gotta say, really does fit into the theme of spooky. 
Yes, it does. It, this is a this is a pretty. I'm just gonna come out right at the gate and say this is a pretty kick-ass uh, uh, terrain set. And if I'm not mistaken, they used to only be sold in this smaller section. Yeah. And it was sold for cheaper, but now they sell them as two sets for eighty. Oh, wow. Um, because it was out of print for a while. Yeah. And um, so this Sigmarite Mausoleum appears to be that it is actually two full sets of mausoleums. Hmm. And I was so upset when they took this off the website and it was out of print for a couple years or whatever. But, dude, this this thing is just too cool. Um, it's such a pretty model. And you, you, what you could do is you could probably, if you, if you got it, you could open it up a bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like space out the train more so you could have guys fighting in between the mausoleums and stuff yeah i think that's what i would do um it would not take much effort at all to put all of this on one board like yeah. an mdf board but this would have to be like a centerpiece model like yeah like, like in the middle of the field like 18 inches by 18 inches like a big terrain piece and uh i don't think like it's pictured when it's all pushed together like this yeah so it looks like it might be a foot by a foot and which is fine, but I like you said that's very dense. Yeah. So what you probably want to do is spread everything out a bit, and I'm not certain you would have enough wall for that because it has a wall and a gate that goes around well, then it. What you do is you just like space it out and put like destruction or rubble in yes. those sections. Yep, that's the same thing which I would make do. Make it like those are your entry points. Those are the ways you can get into the mausoleum and fight. Like I could see a narrative battle where. Even for 40k, it could be like guardsmen are fighting with, you know, cultists that are uh -huh. trying to steal the remains of like a saint or something that's buried there. It's true. Um, if you take a look at these, like there's all kinds of ivy and vines growing on it. There, It comes equipped with statues. There is like a crap ton of skulls, as you could imagine. Well, it's Warhammer. Being Warhammer. No skulls would not make it, would mean it's not a Warhammer model. Exactly. They actually have patented, I mean, uh, they've trademarked skulls, I think. Yeah. Um, they're suing the Punisher currently. <laughs> and <laughs> You don't sue the Punisher, the Punisher sues you. That's right. And uh, so anyway, this is a pretty sweet set. I have always loved it, and you can really paint it extremely creepy. I like how they do like that um, that teal oxidation. Yeah, like, like it's, it's supposed to be like bronze, yep. but it's been oxidized over time. And um, it really does fit together. Like there is a floor to this train set. Like each, wow. they all lock together. No and way. there's, uh huh, all the mausoleums have like their own base, but it's a base of like stone, like cobblestone. That's so cool. And it fits together like a real, like a full set of terrain. Um, our friend Justin actually has it. Oh, okay. And um, uh, it's just so awesome. There's a million little details, like all their terrain stuff. Um, there's like uh, one of the caskets is um, open, and there's like this um, uh, skeleton holding a sword, like he's laid to rest. Yeah. And, um, you know, all kinds of cracks and broken pieces. And it's just, th this, I believe, is actually from Warhammer Fantasy, I think is when that set originally came out. Yeah. And like I said, they've repackaged it to sell too. But this is one of those things that has been on my radar for so long. And for so long, I was like, dude, I definitely have to get that. And I've never gotten it. You should probably do that then. Yes. So that brings me to my point that this is an absolute want that. Yeah, and I could definitely, I would want to get this just so I could make it into like narrative battles and stuff like that. Also, um, you do you wouldn't have to glue all this to a board. Yeah. Um, all of it comes with its own base, so you literally like Justin always, uh, used it just to scatter train hmm. like little mausoleums here and there and things. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, also remember GW has that very small. It's like a four by four. 
uh, mat of a graveyard for Age of Sigmar. Yeah. And there's like some, you know, printed tombs on it or whatever, and this would be awesome for that as well. I think so. Uh, honestly, what I would like to do with this is get a couple of them uh-huh. and build a narrative battle for the battle for Aurea's Sepulcher, which is a, um, a narrative battle or a story that they tell in one of the old Space Marine Codexes, uh-huh. where it's Manuus Calgear and a good chunk of the Ultramarines chapter defending the shrine of this guy named Aurea mm-hmm. and it's against the Eldar. I could really see that being used using that terrain to build like this cool saintly shrine that mm-hmm. you'd be having guys doing running gun battles in and assault, assault marines getting into close combat. Like we said, you definitely have to space it out though oh, yeah, to make of it. Course. Yeah. Um, because the way they have it pictured is super, super dense. Yeah, it's tight. Yeah. But I mean still, it is it is pretty awesome. If you were to just buy that uh, what are they, forty dollars or something, those four by four mats. Yeah. Uh, we have some at the gaming store actually. Yeah, yeah. The the white like it looks like snow covered. Yeah. And um you put that set spread that set a little bit out on that mat and it would it would be pretty awesome. I agree. So, so for, definitely a want. Definitely a want that for me. I don't think I would need two of them because the set is already two of them. Ah. So um definitely a want that for me and that's a want that for you. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. So I know this is an older set for Games Workshop, but it fits in with the whole Halloween theme. And um, certainly you could, you know, um, do some sort of Halloween-themed uh, battle there. Or maybe go, uh, you know what, those mausoleums will be used greatly for our custom Halloween mission. Yeah, trick or treat. Yes, so um, that would also work because the objectives for little houses. Definitely. So... Anyway, thank you as always, Mr. Uh, Loremaster, for being on. Thanks for having me. And we will catch you on the next segment. Now, here's an idea. And welcome to the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. Spooky. Well, here's an idea. And today, the Pimpcron, Count Pimpcron. I'm Count Pimpcron for this episode. Um, just James, what's your moniker for this segment? Your Halloween... It's just James. It's just James, damn it. Just James and Stein. Just James. <laughs> you don't like James and Stein? It's just James. It's got a regal air about it. It's just James. Alright, just James. So, we thought that, you know, not all ideas... I'm just an idea generator. Right. I just, I just spit out nonsense. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you do. You can vouch for that. Yes. So, uh, some of my ideas are better than others. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe at the end of the segment, you could decide where this is on the scale. How about that? So, why don't we do a special mission for Warhammer that is Halloween-themed, because that is spooky. Spooky. And the people demanded it, by the way. So, why don't we do one... Where they're trying to trick or treat. Okay. Okay. So you'll get like um you know just make an army as normal, and instead of objectives in the center, the objectives will be like find the smallest houses you can, in your terrain setup right, uh-huh. and um there'll be at least like three objectives down the center, and they're gonna be all little homes, and the rest of the terrain I don't care what it is, and the point is is you have to be within three inches of the door, the front door of that house, in order to get a point each turn. At the top of each player turn, if that player has that objective, has the most models within three inches of that door, they get one candy, which is one point. Okay. Okay. 
Um, what else could we do that would make it, you know, Halloween themed? Uh, you could have something like, uh, enemy units. Like, well, everybody would be, uh, in costume. Okay. So they would take, uh, you know, you would just write down on a little piece of paper what units they are and, you know, face it down, do hidden objectives or uh, deployment. Uh, and like the old style where you've got like numbered pieces of paper. Yes. Yeah. Like you don't know what unit is what. Yeah. You don't know what, it, what is what. And you, they're the ones going around. And, and when your opponent, when you two meet, then you reveal what you got because they're in costume and when they get closer, then they can see, uh, who, who they're facing against. Okay, I like that. Um, what do you think their visual range should be to identify the other units? Like, twelve uh, inches. Well, Halloween is well, at night. It, yeah, at night. So you're not gonna see too far. So, six inches. Six inches. Okay, if you want to do that, so six inches or twelve inches. I think, I think twelve, 12 inches. inches is usually the sh- like whenever they do. Line of sight uh, negatives. It's usually like twelve inches. Okay. So, um, so if you're within twelve inches, then the enemy has to reveal whatever units are within twelve inches of one of your units, and you would also have to reveal yours, obviously. Um, what if somebody wants to shoot before they're revealed? Will that instantly reveal that unit because you're gonna know what's? Yeah, because okay. they know what kind of weapon it's gonna be. Well, unless you're playing against, if you're you and your opponent know the stats of your weapons, and then you know you're not uh, ma- faking it with each other. Then you could not say what, not say, and they just gotta is. figure it out. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good one. Um, so, like this unit, like token number three, could be let's say um, a uh, Redemptor dreadnought with the um, what's that cannon called? Heavy onslaught Gatlin. Heavy onslaught Gan- Gan- cannon. Gatlin cannon, or uh, what's the strength five? Yeah, strength five minus one, one damage. Okay, how many shots? Six. Uh, heavy is twelve. Twelve. Okay, so you don't know if that unit, let's say, is a bunch of heavy bolters, dudes with heavy bolters. Yeah. Or it's the dreadnought. You mm-hmm. know that sort of thing where you you don't know. And I would also suggest that you hide your list. Like you know, usually when you start at the beginning of a game, you like lay your models out, and here's this unit, here's that unit, because you're getting ready to deploy. Mm-hmm. But you should like hide your models under the table or something, or keep them in your case until you need them. Put little uh, ghost uh, (laughs) cloth over it. And uh, I think that would be really cool. I think, uh, because then it would truly be a surprise. Otherwise, if they saw the models that you're planning on taking, then they'd kind of guess, oh, this one's a Lehman Russ or whatever. Yeah. Um, You'd really throw them for a curveball if you did, like, allies. Take some guard, take some space marines, take some, you know, because if you... Tyranids, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then they'd be like, wait, you need line of sight for that. And you're like, no, I don't. And they'd kind of know it's Hive Guard, that sort of thing. Um, so let's let's codify this and make sure that we know. So each objective, which is a house in the middle, whoever has the most models within three inches of it at the start of their turn gets a victory point, one, per, per turn, per objective. And then if, let's say, you take it over... Like, let's say we're in combat. At the start of my turn, I have this objective. I get one point. 
then we're in melee and you kill that whole squad at the start of your turn. If you have more models within three inches of it, you know, then you get it at the start of your turn. One point. Okay. You know what I mean? And uh, still do Slay the Warlord, still do a Line Breaker and all of that. Because, you know, Line Breaker, you know, if two armies are coming from, like, two different neighborhoods and these houses are, like, in the middle of two suburbs, uh-huh. then you'd be going into their territory and trick-or-treating at their houses. So that would be Line Breaker, you know? And, like, Slay the Warlord would be killing your chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> he shot Mom! You bastard! Uh, what if you did... It would have to be a smaller board, but if you just had the houses in the uh, your opponent's deployment zone, and you get more points from the your oh, opponent's house. Oh, from trick or treating at theirs. Yeah, I like that. Um, so we could do we could do nine objectives, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know maybe just five, like three down the center, and then one in your deployment. Pick one house. Because, you know, not all houses give out candy. So pick one house in your deployment zone and one house in theirs, like that has its light on. Uh And then those will be worth two points each turn or something like that. You know know how the Age of Sigmar one goes? Where each turn that you have your own objective in your deployment zone, you get one victory point per turn. But you get four points per turn Uh, for the opponent's deployment zone building. Yeah. Um, That's... I would actually just copy that outright. So you get... um, Two points each turn that you control the middle three houses, four points each turn when you control your opponent's house, and one point each turn if you control your own house. And that that's based off an AOS mission, so... Um, Original. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> why reinvent the wheel, honestly. So, I'm really liking this. So then, as far as movement and all of that, you're going to hide your army, you can make your list, hide your army... And then assign each one of them on a slip of paper to be one, two, three, four, whatever. And you will just move those slips of paper around until you either shoot. Oh, no, no, you're not revealing yourself when you shoot. So you will move the slips of paper around until you're within 12 inches. And then your enemy reveals their unit. You reveal your unit. But it would be smart not to move over six inches. Like, let's say you've got a unit of jet bikes. You probably only want to move them yeah, six does. inches, because then people will know. Oh, that's a fast unit. Yeah. So, I also really like the idea of like, let's say a Lehman Russ coming up to trick or treat at a house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the minivan. That's what it is. You get you get your troops in a Chimera, right? <laughs> and that's the minivan. Um, your Bulgren are like those kids that are way too old to be trick or treating, you know, <laughs> to get all the weird looks, and. Uh, so I think that's a suitably stupid idea for a mission. Uh, yeah, very stupid. <laughs> I would but play fun. it, though. I would play it. Same so, here. What? <laughs> I said same here. Okay. I keep talking over you. I apologize. Just James likes to hit me in between... Uh, during the breaks. Yeah. He'll, he'll just backhand me. Yep. Yeah. So, what do you think about this? What On a scale of... Gosh, let me think. On a scale of... I guess we'll just do 1 to 10. 10 being the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your entire life, and 1 being, like, entirely sober and logical. Uh, it's definitely not 1. No. Uh, I'd give it a 7. A <laughs> 7? <laughs> Alright, well, that's that's fine. That's good enough. So, there you have it. We have our Halloween spooktacular mission. 
and boy is it creepy, and it's also kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to make, though. Try it out and tell us how you did. Absolutely, and I, I would actually have no problem playing this mission, so next time we play, maybe we can play it. Yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> there I mean, you go. Vote of confidence from Just James. Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right. Becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks, and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right. It's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Kron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Kron. And this is the portion of the show where it is Real Talk with the Pimp Kron, and today I'm joined by Loremaster Alex. Hey guys, how we doing? They're doing good. I hope so. I've talked to each and every one of them. Um... They so, better be good, or they else. They better be good. Well, I'm checking my list. Checking it twice. Gotta find out who's naughty or nice. Yes. Um, who's a heretic or not. Yeah. So, you had an idea that you wanted to discuss today on a... Well, I'll let you say it. So, if you guys recall, we talked about what we would do if we ran Games Workshop. Uh-huh. And my decision was that one of the things I would like to see them do is do more media stuff. Like films, TV shows... Video games. Burlesque houses. Burlesque houses. Yeah, saucy um, puppet shows. Yeah, I really hope that for Halloween they do the sexy commissar. That's really <laughs> what's going to do me in. I'll probably bust one on that. That's nice. Um, But one of the big ones I always talked about was a Game of Thrones-esque you know, TV show. Uh-huh. Done by HBO, but in a Warhammer 40K universe. Uh-huh. So, in the off chance they don't completely fuck this up, what would you like to see in it? <laughs> That's a good point. Because it only <laughs> takes one Weinstein to screw everything up. <laughs> or a uh, uh, Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. But what I would really like to see is for them to use the Gaunt's Ghosts as the um, plot for the seasons of this show. Okay, so I'm not, I've never read the Gaunt's Ghosts. <gasps> I heard a bunch of gasping. I've never heard the. I've never. I actually the... pulled out a knife on on Pimpcron <laughs> when he said this. So uh, I've never read those books. Can you briefly tell us what it's about? Well, I'm a before we start. I'm a diehard Dan Abnett fan. Shout out to Abnett. Uh-huh. Uh, met him at a convention. Uh, was a really nice guy. He took the time to sit there and talk with me. And ever since then, I kind of said, you know, what? I'm going to give this guy a chance to check out his books. And I've fallen in love with his books and stuff like that. And with him. And with him. You can be. This is a safe place. Yeah, I take pictures. I can't yeah. lie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, the Gaunt's Ghost trilogy or series is not a trilogy anymore. There's twelve books now. Uh huh. Um, the Gaunt's Ghost books follow. Oh, hold on a second. Twelve books. Yeah, twelve books. Wow. So that's twelve seasons. All if right. they If they did a book a season. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, HBO, if you're listening, it's a million dollar <laughs> idea right here. All right. So I started to get you off track. So you said twelve books. Yeah, twelve books, and it follows Ibram Gaunt. He is a commissar who was sent to the planet of Tanith, and the planet itself is an agrid world, mm-hmm. um, known for its gnaw wood trees that they use for furniture. Okay. Uh, they were assembling their first regiments for a crusade in what's called the Sabbat Worlds, which is a section in the galaxy. Okay. 
Um, unfortunately, chaos attacked while they were mustering the regiments. So Ibram Gaunt, who was the de facto commanding officer at the time, because the command HQ got blown up during the initial invasion, uh-huh. he had to evacuate as many people as he could from Tanith because a world killer ship came into orbit and blew up the planet. Now, why don't you ever hear about Tanith stands? You hear Cadia stands, well, but they basically pulled the same exact move, and you don't hear anything about Tanith. Well, because Tanith is not that well-known. Uh, they wouldn't become well-known until after the destruction of their world. Because hmm. what Gaunt would end up doing is basically scrambling together the survivors and forming them into a regiment of Imperial Guardsmen called the Tanith Ghost. And they're a light infantry regiment who work in stealth and forward observation and scout work. Okay. Um, they also carry the title, or the their slogan, or like their battle cry is first and only. Yeah, that's the only thing I knew about Tanith, was the Tanith first and only. And that they're, they are ubiquitously known for their black fatigues, silver... Uh, straight blade silver knives uh-huh. and their camo cloaks that they wear. Oh. And they recruit from the worlds that they fight on. And the end goal is that they want to serve long enough that they could find a world that's uninhabited and eventually found it and reform like a new Tanith for all intended purposes. Okay, so what would that, so that's the backstory of that book. What would your series uh, cover in the books? Well, I feel like it would really go page for page. The way Dan Abnett writes these books and what I love about them is that they really engross you. Uh-huh. And they make you feel like you're ducking the lay shots with them. Okay. And the way he writes, he writes it so that you could easily, if you, if in my eyes, you could easily transfer his explanations and his narration into a script. So I would just go page for page. Because, you know, he gives a lot of detail. Okay, so what what is the action in his books? What are they doing um, well, like, Ibram Gaunt's dealing with a lot of intrigue. He's got to deal with, you know, the the politics behind war, uh-huh. while also trying to make sure as many of his men survive, which is a big thing that is kind of taboo for a commissar, because most commissars just see <laughs> see their men as numbers. But They're Gaunt, 9 to 5, they just punch the clock. Like, and I don't care. They punch the clock, and every hour on the hour, they got to kill somebody. Yeah. But for Gaunt, his men he sees as a valued resource. More than that, he knows these men. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he, he, he doesn't want to waste them in needless conflict. Like, for example, in one of the books, uh, they get put into a trench warfare scenario. Uh-huh. Which is not at all what the ghosts are, are good at. Yeah, they're stealth and... They're, they're recon. Okay. They're good at moving forward, observing taking they're not good at holding ground yeah um so you know while he basically is forced to put his men into the trenches and it's cutting between him fighting this intrigue and like this political battle with the commanding with the forward command to try to get his men out of the trench Uh uh-huh his it cuts to his men like basically brutal and i mean brutally described hand-to-hand combat i'm talking like HBO levels of violence we're talking about here, folks. So this is this is exactly why you said it would be like Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones, um, which I am familiar with, yeah. covers all of that political in- intrigue that's behind the scenes, but then they will cut to a massive battle, or it's not just a bunch of people sitting around on thrones like, oh, do this, do that. Yeah. There actually are real repercussions for what whatever happens in the backstage, it ends up showing up on the battlefield. Exactly. Yeah. 
And on top of that, I feel like now more than ever, the technology is, is here. Uh-huh. That you could easily make this a reality. I mean, look at what they've done with the last season of Game of Thrones with the Battle of the Bastards. Uh-huh. Um, you know, most of that battle was CGI, but you couldn't even tell. You know, and yeah. it looked brutal. And CGI gets cheaper and cheaper as the time goes on, too. Yeah, and better and better. Yeah. Um, so, um, did you see the, I think it's just called Guardsman, the fan-made video? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if a fan can do that, think about if HBO had the money and the script. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it would blow us out of the water. But you know what? Um, honestly, I would fear that us as fans would screw it up because you know people love Warhammer so much and it's so near and dear to them that it's almost like you know superhero movies where or they Star Wars or Star Wars or Star Trek where you you almost can't do right yeah. because some people will say it's too much like the original other people's will say it's too far from the original and like, like what discovery you... when they were complaining about the Klingons yes um, that it was so different now just as an aside whether or not it was from peer pressure from the audience or what this season of Discovery that's coming up, the Klingons have hair again. Because, supposedly, the bald Klingons in the first season were a certain sect that shaves their heads. Ah. So, now I'm curious. Now, I'm sure they'll never reveal this, but did they really always intend for them to be bald? And now they're just like, okay, guys, shut up. We'll give yeah. them hair. Or, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. So, um... I do like that idea. You could have a lot of like Band of Brothers yeah, feeling very, to it. Very Band of Brothers. Yeah. Band of Brothers meets Game of Thrones. That's the way I describe it to people. Yeah. You know? And in the same vibe, like I said, I didn't know much about Gaunt's Ghosts, but I do know about a little more about like the Inquisition. Yeah, Inquisitors. And in the same vibe you just said with Game of Thrones and whatnot, the backstabbing and all of that, the, in- the Inquisitors seem like they have as much power as they want. They'll just say, hey, your battlecruiser's mine now, and they take it on a mission or whatever. Yeah. And everyone's afraid of the Inquisition. So they're also never expected. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so it seems to me like there would be a ton of infighting. There would be assassination attempts. There would be all this stuff, you know. And what's great is, once again, I turn around and say, look at Dan Abnett, because Dan Abnett created the Eisenhorn series and the Ravener series. And that is all about the Inquisitor Eisenhorn and his like, his battles of intrigue versus heretics and you know fighting within the Inquisition. In one of the books, he gets marked a heretic wrongfully, and he is basically being hunted by an entire subsector of the galaxy. That's like some twenty four shit right there. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I could see that very much being similar to something like uh, almost like the Sherlock series. I haven't that, seen it that you'd see on BBC where. They do like a, a series where each series is one of the books. Oh. Um, I could definitely see that being something more like that. Because in those books, there's not so much action. It's more the political intrigue. It's and, more cerebral. And he's also trying to, you know, a lot of it's being chased. He's not big on open confrontation. Uh. Because he never has the numbers. That's one thing people forget about the Inquisition. Is people automatically assume that like Inquisitors have all of this power. That's true. But most of the time, an Inquisitor is going into a fight outnumbered. Huh. And probably outgunned, depending on what he's got at his disposal. Uh Uh-huh. Because they're constantly on the move. They can't really keep a huge stockpile of equipment. Yeah, they don't garrison their own troops. They just take 
what is and they have henchmen and they have you know trusted liaisons but those guys are off doing their own thing from time to time as well yeah so it's one of those things where in any fight that an inquisitor goes into he's usually he's usually on his own Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have a lot of manpower to back him up so most fights he'll try to duck and run or he tries to always have an edge against his opponent hmm you know i often think that um if you wanted to start with either an Eisenhorn or a whatever, um, uh, what was the other one? The uh, Ravenor. Or, or Ravenor. They both uh, intertwine, which I really like too, because Ravenor is Gaunt's um, pupil. Oh. And eventually becomes an Inquisitor. Okay, so if you wanted to start with either one of those or even the Gaunt's ghosts, um, the neat thing about it is, is you could also test the water for other things. Yeah. They could be fighting Dark Eldar or they could be fighting Tau or whatever and you would even get a chance to show the audience what that would be like and then if you hear a ton of fanfare about it, like, dude, I'd love to see a series on Tau. Yeah. Then you could step out and do a series on Tau. Just like, like how HBO's doing, they're, they just announced they're going to be doing a spinoff of Game of Thrones. Oh, really? Where it's going to be the battle, um, like Robert Baratheon's Rebellion. Oh, that's cool. Like a prequel. Yeah, a right? prequel. Yeah. Um, it's similar to, um, uh, what was I just thinking of? Um, Breaking Bad with Better Call Saul. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So like, I could totally see them like, hey, you know, we introduced the Eldar in one, of these, in one of these stories. Maybe if there's enough cry out, we could do a prequel where it shows the Eldar's fall from grace and the birth of Slanesh. Yeah. You know um, what I mean? Or, you know, focus a series on Space Marines if they're yeah. popular or whatever. But I really... Like the uh, like the fall of uh, the Crimson Fist's planet. I could see that being a great uh, movie. I feel, though, that you would probably agree with me that doing something that's human-centric and not Space Marine-centric, so either Guard or You can humanize with them more. Yes. Yeah. And that would be the, the test bed for how the other stuff from the lore... You know. That's why I lean more towards the guardsmen because of that band of brothers feel that these are not super soldiers. Yes. They do not have all the ability at their disposal. They don't have all these, you know, they don't have the governing rule of an inquisitor. These are just troopers. And to this day, I'm still shocked they had a Tau Fire Warrior game for PlayStation. Like It was a terrible game. Well, I never played it. I've seen screenshots of it, but, but I'm still shocked that they actually went on, out on a limb and did a non-Space Marine or Imperial-centric game. They Well, here's my problem with that, is that they, they wanted to make a game about the Tau, but they didn't want to spend a lot of money. <laughs> and it shows. Well, but so that's why I'm saying that you would never... They would never start out their foray into HBO or whatever doing a Tau or a Necron, or it's got to be either Inquisition or Imperial Guard, to me. Yeah. You know, even a Rogue Trader one. Like yeah. a legit rogue trader one that would have like a firefly kind of feel to it. Hell yeah. And um that would probably be the most palatable. I honestly. could I could see like a rogue trader whose dynasty kinda got shafted for some reason and he's gotta build himself back up again. Yeah. And yeah. then then as you slowly introduce guardsmen in one episode or man, how about a horror series with Gene Steeler Cult? Like you're you're the uh, um the arbites right on yeah. this in this city and you know something you're in the underhive yeah, yeah and you know something is up because these symbols start getting spray painted on the walls and people are acting funny and the whole time you're not really sure so it would follow like this detective I guess you'd be you know and he's yeah. like what are all these weird murders what is all this you know and then you he starts piecing together the fact that oh shit this is a cult and there's Xenos on the planet infecting people like that would be. Can you I even can Im- see that? Can you even imagine on screen 
like him unearthing this mine and it's got all these gene steel like aberrants yeah. and stuff in it. And all like, oh, just shit. turning around like yes you know i mean one that... of the arbites panics and gets off a, a scatter shot with a <laughs> shotgun pickaxe slams into his chest and kills him you know what i mean i mean gene stealers yeah gene stealers i mean there's so much like xenomorphs from yeah. aliens but dude the the fear and the and the horror you could do with that as well absolutely um so i really um i agree with you this could make a really really cool um, any of those ideas could really make a cool series, especially for you'd have to go HBO though. Oh yeah, HBO um, or nothing. Yeah, because they have the they have the budget for it. Exactly. Like um, AMC or any of those. I mean, they might try to do good, but they don't have the budget. Well, AMC canceled Roadside Picnic. I don't know what that is. Oh well, that's I'll tell you that. Sounds like now. a food show. No, it's based <laughs> on a Russian science fiction novel. Oh. Um, you ever heard of the Stalker Games? Yes. Bingo. You, you've told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. Bingo. They actually were going to make a show, but it cost too much money, so they decided not to go through with it. Oh. So, yeah, HBO, pick up this idea for a Games Workshop story. <laughs> Absolutely. So, thank you for being on, Loremaster Alex. Thanks I appreciate it. And it's always nice hanging out with you. Yeah, totally. And that is our thoughts on a Game of Thrones-style GW series. Good day. Let's get brutal. Welcome to another edition of Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, and tonight we won't exactly be covering any lore or any um, fermented blood drinking like last episode. Uh, actually, what I wanted to talk about was that I really, really enjoy the freedom of this game, and what I mean by that is that I always wanted a game where I was not forced to buy the models of a certain company just because that company makes the games, and the number one thing that I love about this game is that I designed it to be geared towards the hobbyist and not exactly the consumer. So, as many of you may know, I already have a background in uh, solo gaming, and I've solo gamed for years, and typically, solo gamers tend to be some cheap mofos, because, you know, we're not required to play a game that's two-player, and most two-player games are very based off of the market, and sales, and blind blisters, and etc., etc., so solo gamers will play with chits, you know, they'll play with little markers, they'll play with, um, you know, tokens of some sort, and they play a variety of different games, but solo gamers go about their hobby completely different than normal consumerish type people. For instance, the reason why uh, this came to my attention is because I love making new warbands for Brutality. I probably have 15 different warbands with five to seven models each. And oftentimes, the trick that I use, unless I have some model in particular that really strikes my fancy, is that I love to use old Heroclix models. And my friend Jason just recently gave me a huge honking box of Heroclix. I bet there was, I don't know, three to four hundred Heroclix in that box. And my children love going through it, and I love going through it, because it sparks my imagination, which is the whole driving force behind the Brutality game, is that you can create their own stats for to suit your models. It can be from any genre, any time period, anything like that, because Ishtar is drawing from all of the different dimensions. So what I love about this is that, you know, I come home f uh, from our game store, and that's where he gave that box of uh, Heroclix to me. And I come home, and we rifle through all these Heroclix, and, you know, you probably know by now that Heroclix are, you know, blind boosters and things like that, so they have a ton of models that the average Heroclix player 
doesn't have any value in. They don't care at all. Like, oh, I've got 17 fire stars or, you know, whatever, which actually happened to be the case. And it's pretty interesting because all these hero clicks, you know, just on paper, because of their stats, they have a certain uh, value to them monetarily. So obviously good models or rare models have more price value on them. But if you're just looking for 28mm models, which, by the way, Heroclix are by and large about 28mm large, they make awesome fodder for kit bashing. So my children and I spent one whole night, spent like literally three hours rifling through all these Heroclix, and I took about one-third of it for myself. And um, they would help me sort through all the models and find out which ones struck, you know, my creativity and struck my imagination and which ones didn't. I found a uh, one hero click that I can't wait to turn into a um, objective. And it is an old man with Mr. Miracle from DC. And Mr. Miracle is shackled in this like casket type thing. And the casket is opened to reveal Mr. Miracle, but just like from his chest up. And they have this old man who I'm, I'm not familiar with DC characters that well. This old man is like slapping the hood of this casket and he looks like a salesman. So what I did was I cut off Mr. Mr. Miracle's head and I put on a flaming skull head just because I thought that was more interesting. And then I cut off the head of the old man and put an insect head from a um, uh, Teen Legion or whatever one of those stupid things D DC has where it's you know, like Justice League, but they're all children or teens. And um, anyway, so I put the bug head on the salesman and I put bug wings on the salesman. So it looks like a completely different set of models, but that will make a really cool objective marker. You know, like he's trying to sell him it in my head. At least this guy is uh, entombed in this casket and he might be some sort of power source. You know, you could he's got a flaming head for crying out loud. So maybe this bug salesman is going to, um, you know, try to sell him to a town for power or whatever. And that's that's dark enough to fit brutality, certainly, you know, um, enslaving some powerful person in a casket and, and pulling their power off them, their energy. Um, but the thing that I've made so far now, I've already made two sets of uh, figures out of this just uh, in since Wednesday. So in four days um, and the model that I've made that for some reason just has completely grabbed me and completely ignites the fire of imagination and creativity in me is a devil dinosaur model from Marvel. And I forget what the chimp's name is, but there's like a, uh, either a missing link or a chimp on the back of devil dinosaur. So I ripped that off because I thought, Hey, you know, we have some artifacts in brutality that, uh, one of them is a pet or a companion that gives you buffs. So that would be really cool to give someone a monkey. And then I found a cowboy. I think it's Rawhide Kid. I think maybe his name. And I believe he's from DC and he was riding a motorcycle. So I took him off the motorcycle and put him on the back of the dinosaur and repainted the dinosaur and gave like a constructed out of bits, this like harness that fits on the cowboy's waist and goes to a, uh, you know, like the police officer style holsters that go around their hand, their arms and across their back, that typical police officer or detective holster. I painted one of those on the T-Rex and uh, he is riding on the back of it with those like leather supports. And 
I don't know why, but it really, really struck me. And I think I'm going to be incorporating that in our um, brutality RPG that we've been using in 5th edition D&D. And we've been doing that RPG for almost a year now. And I cannot wait to meet this couple because basically, um, like I said, as soon as I put these two together, just the story came in my head. And it might be corny or whatever. But the, the whole point behind this game is to get excited about something and be creative. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to it, you know, for it. And the rules are free, etc., etc., etc. So the story that I came up with it very quickly is that this cowboy is from the Middle East, the, Middle East, the, um, the Far West is what I mean. The complete opposite of what I just said. The Far West, and he's from the Western era, the um, you know, gold rush and whatnot, and he's a cowboy. He apparently did something to make a um, Native American shaman mad, and he put a curse on him saying that he'd never know love in all of his life. So when he got randomly sucked into the world of brutality one time, he thought, oh, well, this must be the curse. And he falls in love with this alien lady with red skin and purple and black stripes on her. And the first time they ever kiss, when they fall in love, like lightning strikes and she becomes this giant red Tyrannosaurus Rex that still loves him and still knows him. She's just a red Tyrannosaurus Rex. So I thought this was such a cool idea that they are going to you know, like a, just a, a duo in love, you know, and they're trying to get a cure for this, um, this curse that's been placed on her because of him. And I just, for some reason, you kind of like that whole idea of a cowboy riding into the sunset on his horse. Well, this is a cowboy riding into the sunset on his dinosaur who he loves and is not just some random animal. It's actually like his lover, which I don't know why. It's just, it's really, really got me excited. So I'm going to include those characters as NPCs into my RPG uh, this week because I cannot wait for our characters to meet them. And I think they're really interesting. But that's enough of rambling about that. So I hope you got something from this. You can get super, super cheap hero clicks that will ignite your imagination, and I, you know, I don't even have a warband in mind usually. I will just dig through this giant pile of hero clicks and then start going, oh, this is pretty cool. Oh, I could do a head swap on this. Oh, you know, just like everybody kitbashes Warhammer, and it is a lot of fun, and even if you don't do it for brutality, I suggest hero clicks as an extremely cheap alternative to bits and things like that, because Although they do need a repainting a lot of times, because Heroclix is kind of subpar painting, they do work very well in making civilians or aliens or whatever you'd like. So, I will catch you on the next episode of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. Thanks for listening.